What's up, guys? This is John Nelson, and you are listening to the Starting Block Podcast. Guys, this is a show for complete athletic development. Our objective here is to give you the tools to win, whether you are the athlete, the parent, or the coach. As always, I am here with my co-host, Chris Scarborough. What's up? Good afternoon. How are you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? Doing well. Awesome. So, Chris is my co-host, and uh, let's go ahead and get through all our housekeeping stuff. Um, So, first things first, if you are new to the show, welcome. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, We have a lot of new listeners. Uh, Our audience is growing, and we're very grateful and appreciative of that. So, let me give you the breakdown if you're new. We have multiple shows within our show, actually. The first type of episode you'll hear from us normally is going to be a Q&A. That comes out every other week, and that Q&A is going to be where Chris and I Take the questions that y'all submit. Chris, where can they submit them? Info at startingblockpodcast.com. That's where you will submit your questions. Chris and I will answer those in that Q&A episode. Those questions can be related to anything about performance, um, strength, power, agility, rehab, nutrition, you name it, we'll tackle it. That's Q&A. The next episode you'll hear, and this one is biweekly as well, is your guest interview. The guest interview is exactly what it sounds like. It's The same format as pretty much every other podcast that's out there on the planet. It's where we are going to bring in our colleagues um, from across the country, and they're going to share their stories of success and how they win with their clients and their patients and give you guys the tools to win as well. And then that final episode is going to be your Friday Fire or Fact slash Saturday sermon, just depending on when I get to it. And that is 10 to 20 minutes of guided wisdom, as I call it, as y'all know. <laughs> or some people call it, uh, you know, passion and anger, but I think it's guided wisdom. Um, I don't do those episodes every week. So if you subscribe to us and you don't see that, that's why I believe in putting out good content. And so if I don't feel like I have something good to say, then I'm just not going to, you know, put random stuff out there. So that is our show breakdown. We are also available on YouTube, if you didn't know. Um, We are under the Elite Level Performance YouTube page. That's my company. Um, You'll see the Starting Block uh, podcast playlist there. And uh, we do have something called Pay Your Dues. Now, Pay Your Dues, guys, is sharing the show. If you got value out of this, if you enjoyed the show, if you liked the guests, if it taught you something, if it taught you something as a parent that you can teach your athlete, if you're a coach, if something you can teach your athletes, if you got any value, we just ask that you please pay your dues and subscribe and share this show. Bring us somebody so we can help grow because this is a mission. This is not just a show. We don't get paid to do this. It takes a lot of time. We love to do this, but This is a mission, and it's a mission to help everybody win because we desperately need that in our country right now. We need to win. And so please pay your dues. So I think that's it. And, uh, yeah, moving forward. So as you are aware, today is a guest interview. And our guest today is Mr. Anti-Ice, Mr. Gary (laughs) Reinel. What's up, man? How are you? Uh, that's the best intro I can ever hope for. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I appreciate that. I hope I I didn't botch that too bad. Um, but yeah, Gary, man, we appreciate you joining us. I've been really looking forward to, to talking to you and Chris is, uh, Chris and I have talked, you know, about you here and there, followed your stuff. And, um, I've taken a lot of flack over the years for being an anti ice guy as well. So man, I'm ready to see some heads roll today. Let's do it. (laughs) 
So well, I'm, I'm happy to help in any way I can. Well, um, let's uh, <laughs> let's start out, Gary. I mean, you know, this is the first time you and I have ever connected. And like I said, I've followed you. I've seen some of your stuff. I haven't read your book, though. But uh, tell the audience just a little bit about yourself. I know you've been in the industry a long time. So kind of tell us how all this started for you. It has been a long time. This October is 50 years. So uh, it's, it's been more than a couple of weeks, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm, when I, sometimes I look at that on the record book and I'm like, has it really been 50 years? But it'll be 50 years this October. Well, then why don't you just keep talking? I'm going to shut up and just listen and learn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what happened to me was I opened uh, the seventh Nautilus gym in the world in 1973. And how that happened was my uh, my father was a construction man, a concrete man. And all during my childhood, that's what I did for summer jobs and weekends whenever he needed help. And So you know how to work. I know how to do the hard stuff, and I did it. Uh, when I was about 18, maybe just a little before 19 years old, I realized I didn't want to ever do that again. <laughs> uh, I, I had broke a bag of lime over the mixer. And the wind blew it back up in my face. And I got lime in my eyes and up my nose and in my mouth. And I just said, this is stupid. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to do this. And I was good at it, by the way. I'd been taught since I was a child. Yeah. So I was actually, I knew what I was doing. I drove a concrete truck, a, a dump truck uh, full of concrete when I was uh, 16. And, you know, that's like, you don't get, no one would let you do that today. They have, but, the, they like in the big cities, like they have these adult playgrounds now, like where you can drive yeah. a dump truck or a backhoe <laughs> or something like that for adults. Well, I, I did it with a load of concrete on the back for the first time. And my dad warned me multiple times, uh, now be careful because when you hit the brakes, it shifts. <laughs> I didn't quite know the consequence of the shifting the first time I right. did it, though. <laughs> <laughs> that fluid comes forward, and uh, it really makes it hard to stop the vehicle. But I, I got to a spot where I knew I didn't want to do that anymore, and I didn't know what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And one of my father's friends, uh, at the urging of my dad, came to me and said, well, what is it that you like to do? I said, well, I, I like to lift weights, I like to run, and I like to talk to people who lift weights and run. And he said, well, Gary, that's not a job. And I said, yeah, it is. You open a gym and that's what you get to do every day. So I opened a gym and that's what I got to do every day. And as time passed, I had the good fortune of having some professional world-class athletes in my market. So I got to work with, you know, really in the big show. And I, But no, there weren't many people around back then doing what I did. 1973 is long before the big march on uh, on the sports medicine, get ready for uh, the season stuff. Yeah. In fact, many of my athletes, it was the first time they ever lifted weights. Now, it was Nautilus yeah. weights, but it's still lifting weights. Hey, Nautilus, and, I still think, made some of the greatest equipment back then. Like, still hey. some really good stuff. I still want, like, a Nautilus pullover machine. I still oh, yeah. want to find one of those just to have. <laughs> Yeah, it's, well, actually, I can tell you where to buy it if, you, if you're interested. I, I know the guy who uh, who collects them and sells yes. them and refurbishes them, and uh, he does a great job. I actually have in my garage. Remember the old uh, multi-station? It was a chin, pull, dip. Oh, yeah. Calf oh, raise. Yes. Okay. I, I have one of those babies in my garage. I still oh, do negative. Awesome. I still do negative chins at 70 years old. I got to tell you, I'm not as strong as I used to be, but I'm just as miserable when I do it. (laughs) 
So I did that for about seven years. And then I crossed over to another uh, category of strength building. And it was women during the pregnancy year. And I actually opened centers all over the country for that purpose, conducted the largest, most publicized exercise pregnancy study in history with the doctor I was involved with, and then wrote the first book on the topic of weightlifting during the pregnancy year. That's in 1982. Mm -hmm. Then time passed, and I made a little change and uh, got picked up by one of the big rehab companies to do um, that program in their system. So they were a billion-dollar rehab company, and I came across and and help open women's centers across the country in their hospital-based outpatient clinics. Then after a little bit, that changed, and Nautilus asked me to come back and run their medical division internationally. So I I crossed back over to the product side and away from the provider side, and that lasted for a bit. And then the the big thing happened with uh, the elderly uh, lifting weights. And if you don't know, there was a, a spot in time in 1990 when the first study was published of uh, elderly people lifting weights. Uh, and that, that was unheard of before they published that study, but it became very popular very quickly. And I actually opened uh, about a 1,000 facilities across the country. There are now over 2,000 with my protocol. And all I did was said, you know, let's bring basic fundamental strength building to this group of people. And it, it ought to work pretty easy because they're so weak that, they can't, they can't, they're so weak they can't walk. And it's like, okay, well, let's, I know how to make you stronger, so let's see if that works. And it did. So I left that and came back to professional and other elite athletes. So I kind of ran the whole circle back around to itself. And uh, some people jokingly say I went from the womb to the tomb. Uh, and, and, I, and I guess I really did, because like, I really ran the whole circle there. And when I came back to professional athletics, uh, I quickly realized that there had been a whole educational space created that I wasn't in. And when I did it back in the 70s, the early 70s, all you had to do was know how to use the Nautilus equipment and uh, motivate people. That's all it took, and and you were in charge. Well, when I came back in 2000, that's not how it was anymore. You You had exercise physiologists, kinesiologists, you had people with master's and doctoral degrees, and... And I just wasn't qualified anymore to, to talk at that level. But I still want to come back. So I, I was using a product through my years with my other projects, other than the pregnant women. And once I got past there, we started using an electrical stimulation product to basically control pain and swelling. Because as you both know, I can see from the setting that you're in that when you try to lift weights and you have pain and you're swollen, it's hard to get people to do it. So I had to get the pain and swelling under control so I'd get you in the gym so you could lift weights because I knew that would fix most problems. Now, the problem is, how do I get rid of the pain and swelling? Well, that was a product that I started using, an electrical stimulation device, for that purpose. Well, then when I came back into professional athletics, I looked and said, well, I know how to use this Easton product, and it's not really getting used much. And I want to get back into professional and other elite athletes. So... How do I fit in? And when I started talking, I quickly found that the RICE protocol, rest, ice, compression, elevation, was basically in every training room. And I said, okay, so how do I fit? Where, where does this electrical stimulation process fit into the RICE protocol? Well, the problem was 
uh, I actually did the real research and interviewed a couple thousand people, and I mean that for real. Uh, about a thousand athletic trainers, physical therapists, sports med docs, anybody who was in the topic that would talk to me, I went to. And I mean from all the major uh, sports teams, basically everyone I got to. Uh, and I just asked them, what do you do and why, and how's it work? And they would say, well, they, we do the RICE protocol, basically, and we you know rest, ice, compress, elevate, and kind of figure things out as we go along, and then add strength building or functional strength building back into the formula as, uh, as the, uh, the athlete tolerates. And I said, okay, well, let me see where my thing fits. So I tried to fit in. And what I quickly realized was that I was the opposite of rest. So you're going to activate the muscles. That's the opposite of rest. So that was a problem because now i got a conflict before I even start. I'm going to say, move it, and you're saying, stay still. And then they wanted you to use ice. And I'm like, well, don't use ice because that will mess up my, my signal from my machine. The muscle won't contract very well if you make it cold. It basically slows down the process of, of circulation. And so I knew I didn't want to do it while you're icing. So I said, well, okay, so we won't use it while you're icing. If I can get you to do it, I don't want you to ice while you're doing it. And then people would ask, well, can I do it after I ice? And I said, no, let me go first and then ice it afterwards if that's what you need to do. But don't make me overcome the cold that you created. Then they want to compress it. And I'm like, well, I'm compressing it. You're going to squeeze the vessels that I'm trying to move the nourishment and waste through? I... I don't think that's a good idea. And then people would say to me, well, you don't make it too tight. And then I, well, how tight do you make it? And then they don't have an answer for how tight you should make it. Just don't make it too tight. And I'm thinking, well, you know, just take your hand and squeeze your wrist and tell me how tight you're going to make it and tell me how you're not going to block the vessels that move the nourishment and waste. So compression ran into a big problem with me too. Then the elevation part, once I understood the passive lymphatic system, that's how the waste moves from the congested area out. And I said, well, if you elevate it, that's not going to move waste to the passive lymphatic system. So that whole belief is wrong too. So now I have a real problem because I realized the rice protocol is completely wrong. It's doing the exact opposite of what they're trying to do. So when so everything that you break down there, like it, it almost <laughs> seems like, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to, I want to, before we get too far down there, like it seems like everything is just, it's common sense. Like, we need blood flow to heal, so why would we restrict blood flow? You talk about the passive lymphatic system. I mean, these are things that just kind of seem like common sense for people that are in our industry, practitioners, et cetera. So when you, how, when you got back in and started seeing all this, like, how did this just become such a, a protocol that just people lived and died by? Well, because they didn't think about it. Okay. And Fair what enough. happened was, if you went, if you go back to the day when when Dr. Gabe Merkin is who invented the Rice Protocol in his 1978 sports medicine book, and when he did that, basically anybody who was in the market at the time, and I don't care what your education was, a paramedic, it didn't matter if you were a school nurse, you learned Rice is nice, rest, ice, compression, elevation, Rice, nice, Rice is nice, and that's what you learned, and everybody believed it. You just you didn't question it. I never questioned it. I assumed it was right because everybody said it was the right thing to do. But when you start looking at it and you're saying, well, what actually happens if you rest, ice, compress, and elevate? And here's the reality. It literally traps the waste in and around the damaged site 
and prevents the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. Now, if you can find anywhere in any textbook, I'll take it from the Grave Digger's Journal. I don't care where you find it. If you can find something that says it'd be a good idea to trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies, I'd be happy to tell everybody about your source. The fact is you can't find that because it's wrong. Now, some people might question and say, well, who's this guy think he is saying it's wrong? Well, uh, the godfather of the Ice Age of the Rice Age, Dr. Gabe Merkin, Harvard-trained doc that made up the Rice Protocol, after he read my book, Ice the Illusionary Treatment Option, publicly recanted, said, look, I made this up in my 1978 sports medicine book. Research has clearly shown I was wrong. Don't do it. It delays healing and then gets a specific reference to the fact that it causes additional damage. Now, that's a pretty big piece there where you get the guy who made it up to recant. But wait. He then wrote the foreword to the second edition of my book. (laughs) So I got the doctor who made up the most recognized reference recommended protocol in Western medicine to not only recant, but write the foreword to the book that took down his legacy. So I'm pretty confident that I know what I'm talking about in this topic. But I didn't make it up. I just read everything and organized it and just asked a simple question. Okay, why would you ice again? And then people say things, oh, to prevent swelling. So how would that work? Well, you, you, you put the ice on and uh, it, it, it prevents the swelling because it slows everything down. And I say, okay, so when the tissue rewarms, doesn't the inflammatory response resume? Well, of course it does. So it, it didn't block swelling. It delayed swelling. But wait, I have a bigger question. How much do you want to block? Is it 10% too much fluid coming to the damage site? 40% too much fluid? 90%? Hands different than feet? You different than me? How do you know if there's too much coming? Maybe there's not enough coming. Maybe more should come. So how would you know what to do? But wait, wait, it gets harder than that. How cold are you going to make it? Oh, you don't have a temperature. Oh, okay. But don't make it too cold. Oh, all right. So what do I do? Well, you put put a towel over superficial nerves because you can kill the nerves. Okay, so what about if I have a deep bone bruise? What temperature should I get that area to? And how would I know when it's there? And how long do I keep it there? And how often should I bring it back to that temperature? Well, you see, none of those answers exist. That's why it's called an illusionary treatment option. My book isn't, isn't by chance. Iced the illusionary treatment. It's not a real treatment option. It's an illusionary treatment option. So you get this problem where you say, well, you guys don't even have a real protocol, and yet you say that I should ice it. And, oh, 15 minutes on, 15 minutes off, or whatever nonsense they say. Who made that up? Based on what? And anyway, how cold are you going to make it? And do you make ligaments colder than you make muscles? Or do you make them the same temperature? How about if it's a deep bone bruise? Is that different than a superficial muscle bruise? Should I make those different temperatures? And how would you get it to the right temperature down to a bone bruise without freezing the superficial tissue? That's called frostbite, by the way. So here we have these problems that they're never going to solve because they can't. And yet there's 40 years of widespread use in tens of millions of individual treatment sessions, and there's no protocol. It's like something's wrong here. And what's wrong is when you sit still, rest, and you make it cold, ice, and you compress it, and you elevate it, you literally trap the waste in and around the damaged site, 
and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. Now, clearly no one wants to do that, but here's an easier way to deal with it. So anybody out there who's going to go to try to talk someone out of it, don't try. Just stop. I know the right thing to do. The right thing to do is say, okay, I hear you. Uh, it's good for pain control mm -hmm. and, and it helps with swelling. Okay, great. Uh, I, anything else you think it does? Uh, oh, it helps with range of motion. Oh, yeah, great. Let them say whatever they want to say. And then just ask them this one question. Okay, I hear you. Is it the best way to manage those problems? And then they'll look at you like, well, what do you mean the best way? Well, you just said it's the best way. I'm just, you said you had a way. I'm just asking it's the best way. Is there another way that's better? Or is that the best way? See, if you try to argue about swelling, they're going to throw all kinds of nonsense at you. But if you just ask, is it the best way? Then the best way would force you to do this. The best way would force you to say, well, what are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to uh, prevent swelling. Okay, so we don't know if too much fluid's coming, but we're going to assume that the immune system, your innate intelligence, sends the proper amount of fluid to the damaged site because that's actually transporting the repair and cleanup crew to the damaged site. So we're going to assume the right amount's being sent. But let's just ask a different question. Is there too much coming or too little leaving? Now we have a new problem, don't we? Because now we have to answer a real question. Is there too much coming? or too little leaving? Well, the fact is there's too little leaving, and you can figure that out by the fact that the rice protocol traps the waste in and around the damaged site and prevents the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. So you see the problem? The problem isn't that there's too much coming, there's too little leaving. Okay, so how's it leave? Well, it leaves via the passive lymphatic system. Okay, how's the passive lymphatic system work? Well, it's passive. When you activate the muscles in and around the congested area, that that moves the waste up a chamber, that empty chamber now has negative pressure, that negative pressure pulls the waste out of the interstitial space and so on. Visually, it's like milking a cow backwards. You get how it works? So would sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the area while sticking up in the air, will that move waste to your passive lymphatic system better than active recovery? Now, if you tell me yes, we probably can't talk. No one's ever said, oh, well, yes, it would definitely move faster if you did the rice protocol. So rather than argue whether it's good or bad, just bring up the concept of, is it the best way to do it? See, there, there, are, there are five things that you need to do based on what I figured out. And I figured out by organizing all the literature and interviewing thousands of experts. Now, by the way, sometimes people question whether I really did that. I really did do that. Uh, I've traveled over two and a half million miles alone just on one airline and stayed at Marriott hotels over seven and a half years of my life. So I really did do what I said I did. Now, past that, let's just look and say, well, what are these five things you got to do? Well, you have to stop, pull back and say, what are you trying to do? There's an injury. Now, what are you trying to do? Well, by the way, it doesn't matter how significant the injury. Slight, severe, makes no difference. The same process occurs in healing. Let's just say, what are you trying to do rather than whether ice is, and rice is good or bad? And let's just, what are, you, what are you trying to do? What's the goal here? That's top of the page. What's the goal? How about if you write this? Pre prevent further loss and regenerate that which has been destroyed. That's, does that sound fair to you that we put that in the top of the page as our goal? Prevent further loss and regenerate that which has been destroyed. 
Okay, so what causes further loss? Well, congestion in and around the damaged site will suffocate and kill otherwise perfectly healthy cells who are not involved in the initial trauma. So we need to decongest the area. Now, if you don't decongest the area, you're going to suffocate and kill otherwise perfectly healthy cells who are not involved in the initial trauma. So how do you decongest it? Well, by the parasympathetic system. How does that work? By activating the muscles in and around the congested area. That's how it works. Okay, so we'll handle the congestion, which is a big issue. So now there's not congestion. Okay, what else causes further loss? Well, disuse atrophy. Keyword, that goes along the, disuse. That kind of goes if along the use, line with, uh, you know, a lot of times when I was a kid, you know, some of the coaches would say, all right, I'll get up, walk it off, walk it off. <laughs> Yeah, so, correct. Yeah, that's correct. Actually, the, right. the coaches the coaches were right. Now, just sometimes sure. they had us walk on broken <laughs> bones, so that may not have been the best thing. But the fact was, when they said that, they would say, "Don't sit still, walk it right. off, keep moving. It'll tighten up." So, what tightened up? Well, the congestion tightened the area up. That congestion created an effective traffic jam. If you think about a major highway in your area, and there's a crash on the highway. Until you clear the debris, the traffic jam remains and everything slows down. Okay, well, the same thing happens in your immune system when you're trying to repair tissue. You've got to decongest the area in and around the damaged site, whether it's a crash site or whether it's an injury. It doesn't matter what it is. It's the same principle. So now we decongest the area. Then we look at the disuse atrophy and we say, so how do you prevent disuse atrophy? Well, by use. How do you use it if it's hurt? Well, the muscles in and around the damaged site, they're okay. You rolled your ankle, you didn't break your leg. You know, you rolled your ankle, you didn't ruin your quadricep. So the muscles are still there. The lymphatic system is still there. So what can I do to decongest the area and simultaneously activate the muscles so we don't have disuse atrophy? Well, active recovery. So in effect, that walking it off. And what I say about that in, in the product that I work with is that I just simply electronically walk it off. So now you got the next question, because what else goes wrong? What causes additional loss? You've got, you've got the suffocating and killing of otherwise perfect healthy cells who are not involved in the initial trauma. You've got the disuse atrophy. What else goes wrong? Well, adhesions. The adhesions will cost you with range of motion. So that's another category of loss. You don't want to you know, prevent further loss. So what causes adhesions? Well, failure to reorganize the repaired tissue. If you reorganize the repaired tissue, which, by the way, uh, goes back to a big point here, you've got inflammation, which people try to block or limit or whatever. Inflammation is phase one of three phases of healing. It's inflammation repair remodel. You can't get to two and three without one. So inflammation is a good thing, not a bad thing. It's not the same thing as swelling, by the way. Swelling is not a good or a bad thing. Swelling is merely the accumulation of waste at the end of the inflammatory cycle that you have not yet evacuated. Get the difference? It changes everything as soon as you understand that. It's not good or bad. It's just what happens if you don't move it. What doesn't move it? The rice protocol traps it. Okay, so now we have this, this issue with reorganizing the repaired tissue, which is the third phase of the healing process. Now, how do you do that? Well, you have to pull against the tissue in its, in its functional range. So, would sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the area while sticking up in the air, will that reorganize the repair tissue? Will that prevent disuse atrophy? Will that decongest the area in and around the damaged site? Of course not. 
It doesn't do anything. It's wrong. In fact, if you were trying to come up with the worst thing you could do post-injury, it would be follow the follow the rice protocol. That's so the, what you would want to do. This, why is it still such a practiced theory? Now, I feel like there are. It's coming around. Likely, I mean, to to your work and credit, but like where I live, I'm, I'm in the South. It is still a consistent yeah. treatment. Always. Yeah. Ice by the way, ice, real ice, quick ice. to that to that point, well, Gary. Yeah I, I, um, yeah, I worked at a very large. That's now. That, granted, this was the mid '80s, <laughs> so I'm going back a ways, but. But that was actually the first 20 minutes. This is a post-surgical acute care hospital setting. So did a lot of knee replacements, hip replacements, ACL reconstructions, that sort of thing. So a lot of them. And the first 20 minutes was ice. The la- after the treatment, last 20 minutes was yeah. ice. And, it was, you know, and that was every single time. Now, I'm hoping that that has since changed, as John said. But I don't know that it has. So I'm sorry. Continue on. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you're you're saying a, a very important point is that that's against the literature because the literature would say that in fact the orthopedic uh, surgery journal on knee surgery actually the feature article that Dr. Merkin references talks about non-freezing injury and the fact that the non-freezing injury is a direct result of making a cold post-op. And it's like, what are you guys doing? Reperfusion injury? You never heard of that? And you say, well, why are you making it cold? And by the way, if you ask them, why are you making it cold? They'll say, oh, for uh, pain control. Okay, well, let's just, let's run that through a little bit and make sure that made sense. Pain control. So I liken that to the sympathetic bartender that gives the alcoholic a drink so it can temporarily feel better. Will it help? Maybe. Did it fix the problem? No. What make things worse? Probably. Why would you do that? Oh, we want to make it not hurt. Okay, so let me get this straight. You want me to make something not hurt, but then you want me to try to move it to increase circulation to help with the swelling. But won't that shut off the signals that alert me to harmful movement? And don't I need those signals to prevent me from doing harmful movement? <laughs> Give you a simple, classy example. You break your collarbone. You can't lay down, so you have to sleep sitting up. Do you think it'd be a good idea to make it numb with ice and then lean against the wall or whatever and fall asleep and distract the fresh fracture site for the next several hours while you sleep? Nope, but it sounds like that's what's being taught. That is what's, it's, that's, why it's so, that's why it's so easy to beat. Anyone I talk to, I, first of all, nearly everyone I talk to over a million people have now heard my anti-rice message. Nearly everyone I talked to came to me. I didn't go to them in the past five years. Now, in the beginning, I used to have to battle. There's no, I don't battle anymore. People go like, of course, it, it, it's wrong. Now, the, I got the godfather of the ice age to recant and write the forward to my book. That helped. But I got the literature where I'm reading and I'm saying, what are you guys doing? It says right here, post-op, you shouldn't do it because it causes non-freezing injury. In other words, there's already decreased circulation from the surgery. You have the risk of reperfusion injury on top of that, bringing the blood flow back into the area too quickly. And then you make it cold to slow it down even more. And now who's regulating it? And why did you do it? Well, for pain control, to control swelling. Is there too much fluid coming or too little leaving? It's really important to run that through your mind. 
Do you believe your immune system, your innate intelligence, is sending the wrong amount of fluid to the damaged site every time under all conditions for every person with every injury? That's just, that's not believable. It doesn't send the wrong amount of fluid in otherwise healthy people. And by the way, in the textbook, it says that when you have damage, the damaged vessels constrict, convert ingredients into blood, the clotting factors, grow a clot, repair the vessel, dissolve the clot in some three to 10 days or so, and normalize flow. Comma, and the healthy surrounding vessels dilate and increase perfusion. So the fluid's coming on purpose. It's bringing the repair and cleanup crew to the damaged site. That's what's supposed to happen. What's not supposed to happen is for you to trap it there. It's not too much coming. There's too little leaving. So just to go back to my five points, because I don't want to lose you on that. The first three points of preventing further loss are decongesting the area in and around the damaged site so you don't suffocate and kill otherwise perfect healthy cells who are not involved in initial trauma. Very important. Preventing disuse atrophy because no point in losing tissue that you don't have to lose. That's not going to help anything. And then the faulty scarring where you get functional range of motion loss because of the faulty scarring. So you get adhesions. Now, what about regeneration? So remember, our two goals were to prevent further loss and regenerate that which has been destroyed. So what would be the most important thing to do post-op, post-trauma, to regenerate that which has been destroyed? Well, to rebuild the related vascular network. Now, just stop for a second, because sometimes people don't know what that means. If you ever were injured, you noticed all that bruising under your skin. Well, that bruising is ruptured vessels. So you got to rebuild that related vascular network. Now, I'm going to ask a simple question, rhetorical, so I'll answer it for you. But I'm sure your heads will shake in agreement with me. Do you think that sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the area while sticking up in the air is going to rebuild the related vascular network? Okay, the answer is no. So what does rebuild it? Well, the same stress, the same loading, the same walking it off idea that decongested the area via the passive lymphatic system, that prevented the disuse atrophy, that reorganized the repaired tissue, that same stress, that same loading, will simultaneously stimulate the rebuilding of the related vascular network. It's like, this is incredible. This is so simple. It's ridiculous. In fact, I had a professor once interrupt me in a lecture at a university, and he said, well, now, Gary, you're making it sound too simple. I said, it had to be simple. If it wasn't, could you imagine if it took... Four different stimuluses, one to decongest the area, one to prevent disuse atrophy, one to reorganize the repair tissue to prevent adhesions, and one to rebuild the related vascular network. Could you imagine how impossible it would be to ever heal? No, one thing does all four, but wait, there's a fifth thing. In the world of strength building, bodybuilding, the the group is generally familiar with something called myostatin. Now, um, just ask, have you each heard of myostatin or is that I've heard not of something it. I'm that's not crossed your super way? I'm familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, here's a really cool thing. You are. What, I'm going to tell you when and where, and I'm going to watch your eyes pop when I say it to you. Remember Boy Hercules in the media back in the mid-90s? Oh, yeah, I do remember him. Remember Boy Hercules? He didn't have the myostatin gene. So when you don't have myostatin, your muscles grow real big. When you have too much myostatin, your muscles don't grow much at all. Now, this has been known since the mid-90s, by the way. How did I find out about it? Well, 
a magazine by the name of uh, T Nation. Uh, I didn't even know what it was, but they did an article and they included me in the article. And I heard the guy talking. I kind of looked him up and listened to the guy talking. And uh, I mean, he was one of those true weight heads. Uh, All right, you guys, let me tell you what you need to do. And I was like, this guy's a kook. And I looked him up and said, no, he's not a kook. He's actually really smart and he knows how to play it. So I, I took back my uh, my my statement that I thought the guy was a nutcase. He wasn't a nutcase. He's actually really smart. But he made a comment. He said, now, as you all know, and I'm thinking, as I know, I never heard of this before, that myostatin inhibits muscle regeneration. And that after you train, you need to take MyoX. And I'm like, what is MyoX? Well, it's something you can buy at GNC. And it's, it's a brand called MyoX. And what it does is it lowers your myostatin levels. So says the ad. Don't know if it's true. Uh, but if there's something that happens from inactivity that elevates your myostatin levels and myostatin inhibits muscle regeneration, I immediately jump from weightlifting over to rehabilitation. And then forget about the bodybuilders. They can do whatever they need to do. You just told me something I never heard before, that inactivity elevates myostatin levels. Right. Guess what lowers myostatin levels? The same stress. Walking it off. But the same stress that decongests the area in and around the damaged site, the same stress that that prevents disuse atrophy, the same stress that will reorganize the repaired tissue to prevent the adhesions and the, the faulty scarring, the same stress that rebuilds your related vascular network, that same stress, that same loading of the tissue simultaneously lowers your myostatin levels. Now, why would you want to lower your myostatin levels if you were post-trauma? Okay, let's make sure we understand this. If you've got a muscle that is damaged and you want it to regenerate, you do not want elevated myostatin levels. And it's like, well, doesn't everyone know this? The bodybuilders all know it. I never heard of it before the first time I heard it. And I, that was probably maybe 12 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. When I, whenever it, Well, it can't be, actually. It has to be since my book. So it has to be in the past 12 years. Now, how important are those five things? Well, they're, they're, they're it. That, that, that's the set of rules. That's what you've got to do. You've got to decongest the area in and around the damaged site. You've got to prevent the disuse atrophy. You've got to reorganize the repair tissue. You've got to rebuild the related vascular network. And you've got to lower your myostatin levels. Now, how do you do that? By sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the area while sticking it up in the air? I don't think so. It's the wrong answer. It's, and no matter, even if it is somewhat useful, and I'll give it to you. Yes, I, I hear you. And you've got results with it that were positive. Great. Is it the best way to decongest the area? Is it the best way to prevent disuse atrophy? Is it the best way to reorganize the repair tissue? Is it the best way to rebuild the related vascular network? And is it the best way to lower myostatin levels? So long as you stay there, you'll never lose the debate. You try to argue with them where they want to argue, and you're gonna you 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 won't win. You will you won't lose, but you won't win. But if you reverse it, just come out and say a different way. Is it the best way? And the answer is it is not the best way. And it's not the best way because the best way is to electronically walk it off. And if by the way, if you can actually walk it off, like if if you jammed your finger right now 
for whatever reason, that someone threw you a ball and you jammed your finger, right. you would do this. Mm-hmm. Instinctively, you would do this. And if you didn't do that, by tomorrow, your hand would be swollen and you wouldn't be able to bend your fingers. But if you do do that, you'll move that waste through your passive lymphatic system, like milking the cow backwards. You will prevent disuse atrophy. Now, the good news is with something that slight, you probably wouldn't have much atrophy anyway. But I know people that have jammed their thumb or their finger, and two weeks later, it's still swollen. Why? Because they kept it still, and they iced it. So and they the answer it. to John's. Well, you can take yeah. my money. You can take my money. I'm going to interrupt you, Chris. Gary, you can take my money. I already, uh, I believe the ice thing, but now you gave me all the research and you told me how to get bigger. Um, and I'm a meathead at heart. And uh, as I tell everybody who listens to this show, education is important, but big biceps are important to her. And you told me how to do that. So I'll, I'll, send, my, I'll send you all my money after this. Important to her. Here, here's the, here's the, the, the great news I'd like to throw on that for you. I don't do this for money, okay? I don't, all of my classes, everything that I I teach classes online to to universities and I go places and I fly around, I've never charged anybody a penny for this information. And the reason for that is, one, I don't need money anymore. I'm old. Now, on top of being old, I know there's a limit to how much longer I can last. So as I told a trainer the other day, a physical therapist, athletic trainer, uh, who called me and he was hoping to get 10 minutes with me. And I said, you got as long as you want. It went about an hour and a half. And when he was done, he said, well, how do you make your money? I said, I don't have to make money like that anymore. And he said, well, so what do I do? I said, how many athletes do you tell me you work with at your school? And it was like, four different teams, whether I, whether I think it was football and I, I forget. I, I don't remember all the sports. It was, like, it was like four sports, whatever it was. But it was hundreds of people, that, athletes that he touches. I said, now just think of it this way. What if one of those athletes who had a chance to make it to the next level didn't make it because they were mismanaged? And now you manage them correctly and they make it to the next level. That's all I want you to do. You're going to touch thousands of people in the rest of your career. The thousands you touch will touch dozens and dozens more each. Now, why does that so, matter? It's the only way you're going to undo this mess. So I'm not in it. I'm not in it for the money anymore. That Those days are long gone for me. I'm in it now to change this so problem. So the answer to, to John's original the question was, the, the, why is it still used? It's really the answer is tradition. It's not used for any other reason. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. Well, that kind of goes into the the other question I was going to ask too. You know, because we got a few we got a few minutes left, but you've seen an increase in, I guess, ice and cold therapy. So you can't get on social media without somebody posting something about a cold plunge or cryotherapy, or even something like a contrast bath and shower. You know, and what are your thoughts on all that? Well, I try to stay in my category. My category is damaged tissue. And most of those things don't claim that that's the way to manage, for example, a rolled ankle. So I don't have to deal with them much. In my book, I touch cryotherapy quickly and say, not exactly sure how how, um, 
blowing cold air on me for two minutes is going to fix my swollen ankle and pretty right. much they agree that, it, that that's not going to change that. Uh, cold, cold plunges are very interesting. Uh, there is some potential benefit to a cold plunge uh, hormonally um, and the, the, the research is there and maybe it's a good idea for some purposes, especially if you're doing it for discipline. What you shouldn't do, and by, that, right. by the way, that has nothing to do with an injury or post-op. You don't think a cold plunge after knee surgery. Yeah. Uh, but, but if you do it, just don't do it after you train. And the reason for that is it dampens both vascular and muscular adaptation. And if you just mm-hmm. listen to them as they, the people who push that, they'll tell you, oh, lowers inflammation. It's like, whoa, whoa, calm down a second, folks. I don't want to lower inflammation. The inflammatory response is phase one of three phases of healing. I really don't want to dampen the inflammatory response in otherwise healthy people. We're not talking about somebody with cancer, you know, final week of chemo, okay, stage four cancer, final week. We're not talking about that. We're talking about otherwise healthy people. You don't want to dampen the inflammatory response. And you certainly want to do, wouldn't want to do it after you train. You just train. Now you're screwing up muscular and vascular adaptation. So just keep your cold plunges away from your training time. So if you trained in the morning and you got to do a cold plunge that day, make it as late at night as you can. Keep it away from when you trained. And then when you look at the things like uh, cryo chambers, yeah, I, I, I see it out there. And I see pro teams that have bought them. And some colleges even have bought them that I work with. And what I'll tell you is this. They were very popular. I used the word were on purpose. Not many people do that. Once you do it a few times, have you had the pleasure of going in a cryo chamber and had the cold air blown on you? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. No. <laughs> okay. Well, they, they blow air. Right, it, yeah. It's something like 275 degrees below <clears throat> zero or whatever it is. And they blow cold air on you for two or three minutes. Now, I don't know what you think that's going to do for you. I don't need that done, but if that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. Just right. realize it's not going to fix a swollen ankle. Now, is it a bad idea? I stayed away from my book because there wasn't research either way to say it was good or bad. I couldn't find anything to say that it was good other than the claims that they that the manufacturers make, which I'm not going to take those for their face value. I mean, come on. It lowers the inflammatory response. Well, I don't want to do that, so what else do you think it does? Now, when it comes to managing a problem, and we talk about really solving problems, uh, I'll have a, a video out very shortly uh, where the head trainer, and I can say it now because he's actually, we have it in the can, so I know it's coming. The head trainer for the Colorado Rapids. Now, remember, I'm telling you the team and the person's name as I'm telling you the story. So anybody who thinks it's not true, like if either of you want to give him a call, give him a call. Okay, so here's the thing. He had a player several years ago. Won't say what it was with because uh, I believe he says it in the interview, but I don't want to say the team at this point. He now, he currently is the head trainer for the Colorado Rapids. He's been at the top of the game for 30 years now, about 28 years. Uh, head trainer, uh, athletic trainer, physical therapist. I believe he's also strength, uh, CSCS, Certified Strength Conditioning Coach. I believe he's all three things. Now, with that, he had a player who had a longitudinal quad tear. He called it a third-degree quad tear. In the interview, in the paper that he wrote to me originally, the email, he called it a a longitudinal quad tear. Whatever, it was a serious injury to the quad. 
He did what I told him to do post-trauma, and that was activate the muscles in and around the damaged site electronically. I recommend it somewhere between 6 to 10 hours uh, in the first 24 hours. Uh, he did exactly what I said, but here's what he did before he did it. He measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound before he started what I said to do. The next day, they measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound. His word, gone. We turned a four to six week injury into running in three days and playing in the world championships in 10. That's his words in the interview. Now, you got to think about that. He said to me, I can't believe how doing what you said, how fast that sped up recovery. I said it did not. He said, Gary, I've been doing this for nearly 30 years. I'm telling you, it's a four to six week injury. And I said, I'm mismanaged. It's four to six weeks. It's it's not, it's three days running, 10 days playing world championships. That's what the real time is. Now, you can't deny that because that's what happened. So I know I'm right. So I'm not making that up. He says it's normally a four to six week injury. We did it in three days running, 10 days playing the world championships. So why? Why did it go so fast? Why did he say to me, I can't believe how fast it sped it up? My response, remember my response. It's very important here. It didn't. It normalized the rate of recovery by removing the related obstacles. So it didn't speed things up. It just made it take the right amount of time. Now, why would it take longer if you mismanaged it? Well, you do the rice protocol. So you would have iced it, compressed it. You avoided it. <laughs> you avoided and slowing elevated. it down. As what like. would you have had? <laughs> right, right. You right. bet. You bet. Yeah. So... Th- the, the next day, you would have had significant oh, sure. bruising and swelling down to the kneecap. They'd been on crutches. They'd been crutches for at least a week, for sure. You would have suffocated and killed otherwise perfect healthy cells that were not involved in initial trauma from all the congestion. There would have been systemic disuse atrophy in the limb because you wouldn't be using it for at least two weeks. Barely using it for two weeks. Remember, we played in the World Championships in 10 days. Now, on top of that, you would have had faulty scarring because you clearly wouldn't be reorganizing and repairing tissue because you can't even use the limb. It's so swollen and, and dysfunctional at that point and painful. And then on top of that, you clearly wouldn't be rebuilding the related vascular network because there'd be no stress on the muscle. There'd be no increased, there'd be no what's called angiogenesis where the, the vessels actually rebuild that related vascular network. And clearly you wouldn't have elevated myostatin levels and the elevated, or clearly you would have elevated myostatin levels and the myostatin inhibits muscle regeneration. Guess what you have to do when you right. have a longitudinal quad tear? You need to regenerate the muscle. So you've done everything wrong. That's why it takes four to six weeks. If you do it right, it takes three days running, 10 days playing in the world championships. Now, some people have said to me, well, that's a one-up. No, no, I have hundreds of examples like that. That's just happened to be one where the trainer measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound beforehand. Now, why does that work? I have a video that I can send each of you if you'd like to see a video interview with a doctor and you, like, you, you could post it up, up with, the, with this interview if you want it. Okay. The doc Thank is a, 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 a shoulder surgeon in Kansas City. And we just posted this two weeks ago. And there's no script. This is the doc talking about what's going on. Uh, he uses our electronic stimulation technology. And he puts sterile pads on post-op. He's a shoulder surgeon. 
and he's from Kansas City, by the way. And I'm gonna, I'll give you the thing so you can link it, so you can show people, they can watch it themselves. Yeah. So he he puts sterile pads on before he dresses the wound post-op. And then they immediately begin stimulating the muscle as that he tests it there in the, in the operating room. He tests it before he dresses it. And then they immediately begin activating the muscle in and around the damaged site for hours on end post-op, first five days. I asked the doc, why do you do that? Now, I didn't know the answer, but I suspected I knew the answer, but I want to hear his answer. Now, in the interview, he does say what I'm going to tell you here. But when I asked him personally, here's what he said to me. Well, that's easy. When I take the dressing off, it's not swollen and bruised. Now, why would that matter? That congestion is that traffic jam in and around the damaged site. Are you sure you want to have congestion in and around the damaged site? In other words, do you really want to trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies? Of course you don't. And that's what he's doing. He's decongesting the area. He's electronically walking it off right up front. And it's like, wow, first five days. Okay. This is incredible. Sorry about that, guys. I thought I had that off. Yeah, no, what you're what you're saying, I think our, our audience is you're familiar with scenarios like that because you know, some of the you know, technology that we utilize, you know, some of the people that we've brought on our network, our community. But your your frame of reference really just kind of made a light bulb go off in, in saying that you didn't speed it up. You you just removed the obstacles and you removed the obstacle obstacles right. and just assisted the body mm-hmm. in its natural process. Correct. Yeah, it was. It was very good. It was a very, yeah, very good. For sure. uh, Not analogy, but just a, yeah, it did. I I agree with John 100%. It was nice to hear that, that, uh, how you put everything together like that. Well, I want to say it to you just so, in case I wasn't clean the first time, what I said to him when I said I sped things up, I said I didn't. We normalize the rate of recovery by removing the related obstacles. So that's all. I'm just giving you, this is how it should have been. But when you interfered and did the rice Mm -hmm. protocol, you sat still with a bag of ice. Think about the protocol is so dysfunctional. Compression. Why would you ever want to compress the vessels that are transporting the nourishment and waste? Why would you want to do that? Well, they think, in the theory, they think, that if you compress the vessels, not as much swelling will occur. But if you are, have a different understanding and you say, no, there's not too much fluid coming, there's too little leaving. Why is there too little leaving? Because you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so the, the, the immune system's not doing it wrong. The immune system's doing it right. I, I, I'll give you my favorite analogy on this regarding swelling. If you knew it was going to snow 24 inches in the next 24 hours, if you knew it, one inch per hour, if every hour in the hour you'd open your front door, with a good stiff broom, you could effortlessly keep the inch of snow off your sidewalk. It'd be effortless. However, if you wait till morning and open your door to 24 inches of angry snow, I assure you it will not be effortless and you will not <laughs> right. clear with a good yes. stiff broom. Yes, you get, that you, is yeah. great. You, you, you get how this works? Don't let it accumulate. There's not too much coming. There's too little leaving. It's not a good or a bad thing. Swelling is not a good or a bad thing. 
It's merely the accumulation of waste at the end of the inflammatory cycle that you have not yet evacuated. Gary, where can people find you? GaryRhino.com. This has been great. It has been a pleasure to talk to you. (laughs) I had more fun than you, I think. (laughs) It was it's been a pleasure to talk to you and yes, um, you. definitely yeah. send, send me the video. Um, you send Chris as well. Yes. And I will definitely post it up there. I'll put it on our website, uh, as well, along with this episode. Um, this has been great. I, I want to follow up what, and so in like two minutes here, cause we got about two minutes left. What is the next step for Mr. Anti ice? In my last podcast, I announced it for the first time, so you'll, your audience will likely never have heard what I'm going to say. Uh, the next book, and it may end up just being an ebook, so that I can get it out quicker. Uh, and, and at that point, it'll be a free ebook. But it's what to do if your doctor doesn't cooperate. And uh, I'm not nice about this. Uh, I just say flat out: if your doc is telling you to do the wrong thing. Try to educate them. If they won't listen, get a different doc. When's this coming uh, out? Uh, yeah. I, I've got to get it right. So it's still probably – well, you, you understand that – that it, let's just go back for a second. I promise I'll go fast with it. But let's go back to that athlete uh, that ran in three days and played in the world championships in 10. Now, it just so happens that that was, uh, well, he says it on the, so I can say it It was the women's U.S. soccer team. And now let's play this back and mismanage that person. You know what that means? They may have traveled with the team to the international championships, but they wouldn't have dressed. They wouldn't have played. They wouldn't have done what they did in the game, and they wouldn't have stood on the stage at the end in the ceremony, getting a gold medal put around their neck. So when our national anthem was playing and they were standing on the on the sidelines as an observer, not a player, and everybody else was on stage getting a gold medal put around their neck, she wouldn't have participated. So for the rest of her life, she doesn't get to tell that story. Now, if you tell me that someone has the right to take away that story from someone's life, then we're not going to, you and I aren't going to get along. That's why I do what I do. That person can tell that story for the rest of their life. In 30 years, in 40 years, in 50 years, they can tell their great grandchildren sitting on their knee about how they got a gold medal put around their neck while our national anthem was playing in the background. That is a big, big issue to me. Don't take somebody else's dream away because you Very mismanage good. them. And that's the theme of the book. That's great. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us and everything that you have done over the years. Um, it's uh, you've got uh, you've got fans and, and followers all the way out here in the South, and we appreciate uh, everything you've done. I can't wait to get that book, and uh, we're going to talk again, man. This isn't going to be the last time. As long as you'll have us, we'd love to have you back on again soon. So, thanks. Come anytime you want me to. I'll come back. Well, I appreciate it. Guys, that is the show. Be sure to uh, subscribe, like it, and uh, give Gary a follow. That's the show, guys. Have a great day.